I'm really excited about uh, talking about how I've been able to use pincers in my classroom. Um, as Bob mentioned, I'm new to Pittsburgh. Um, I'm originally from Detroit, but I haven't lived in um, Detroit in 12 years. But most of my work focuses around inequality in urban spaces. And I'm an urban ethnographer. So uh, urban ethnography, if you could think, it's uh, field work, uh, participant observation, like putting a body in a community. And so my background was quite different uh, than a lot of the research um, that was going on in Pittsburgh prior to coming here. Uh, urban ethnographers use everything. So they use census data, they use observations, they use all of this research and data. Um, so when I was hired, I was asked to teach a course in urban sociology. And I wanted to, you know, in my mind, I said, you know, how can I be true to myself, but also give students options in doing research that, um, giving them a set of tools that they can use um, beyond the classroom, but things that I wanted to incorporate to make their projects much more interesting and much more well-informed. So um, I, I need to tell kind of a, a background story uh, to set up my talk. Uh, a lot of my teaching borrows from you know wonderful examples. So before I arrived to Pittsburgh, I did not know about Uxer, uh, but I was able. I was invited to a presentation by urban studies professor Michael Glass, and you know back in '95 when I first used GIS, I was totally turned off because it was so difficult for me to kind of grasp some of the concepts. And I was so amazed by what Uxer was able to accomplish with the PINCIS data, or the PNCIS. And so uh, I go to this presentation for Michael Glass's class. Sabina Dietrich is there, Bob Braddock is there. And the students' projects were absolutely amazing. And they used this data in creative ways where they had information for foreclosures, crime, liquor licenses, rental properties, transportation. So I said to myself, if I were king or a democratically elected president, what would I do <laughs> in my classroom? And so I, I wanted students to do projects that was uh, reflective of some things they might do in an internship, but also things that will keep them interested and put my focus and learn more about the city of Pittsburgh. Um, a lot of the work that I do focuses on the East End because the East End in Pittsburgh is this amazing research workshop. You have Highland Park, East Liberty, Point Breeze, Squirrel Hill, and wonderful things are going on in these spaces. And so it becomes like this really wonderful workshop. Um, my uh, research tends to focus, or what I want students to take away in my class, but also as urban researchers, is to look at the intersections of history, social structure, and biography. And when I say social structure, anything from policy concerns, but also the story of the people who lived there and how these places actually came into being. Um, even though I'm an extremely qualitative researcher, I wanted students to have a mixed method approach. So actually going out, making some observations, but using the PNCIS to make sense of the neighborhoods that they're studying, um, but also using census data. But the, you know, the focus is being true to issues that are facing urban areas. So you know, these are just, the students are not limited to these things, but transportation, manufacturing, urban planning, governance, culture, and inequality. And because I study inequality, it was really important for me to stress that students should focus on issues of race, issues of gender, and issues of class while they're doing their research projects. 
Now, how the class is set up is that students get together and before they write their final reports, they um, come up with a set of ideas about the communities that they're studying using the PNCIS, um, using census data, um, and uh, performing observations. Now, where I am fortunate and I am very grateful to Bob is that he actually comes into my classroom and provides a training. Um, and this class goes on in a one semester period. It's extremely intensive. We're talking 15 books in addition to doing these extremely detailed research projects. Um, what I wanted them to do is kind of look at the examination of um, neighborhood demographics in addition to its history, looking at different types of capital and being very broad in terms of human capital, one's ability, social capital, networks, access to economic resources, but also um, looking at different um, types of culture in their community and what the value or how people recognize or communicate culture in the spaces that they're studying. Um, in addition, and they're not limited to these issues, but looking at two major urban issues from anything from poverty to something like leisure to housing to pollution, these are all things given the data that they have access to um, that they can write their final reports and then in the end make some recommendations to community leaders based on some of their findings. Now the data that I've been able to use, um, you know, census tract data just to allow students to have access to it, but the, in, in terms of talking about Pittsburgh, which, you know, I'm from Detroit, I love Rust Belt cities, and I love cities that have made you know, successful comebacks. So when I look at areas in Washington, D.C., or Brooklyn, or Manhattan, uh, and Pittsburgh, it's important to show students the transition from manufacturing to, in Pittsburgh case, education, medicine, and technology. Um, again, using the Pittsburgh Neighborhood and Community Information System, which is really user-friendly. There was a question asked earlier by someone in the audience about, you know, how can communities use this data? And what was great that students, after a few sessions of practicing, they've been able to do some amazing things by using PINCES. Um, with IRB restrictions, I want students to get a sense of how community, how people talk about their communities, but also what are some of the positive things about a particular neighborhood, but also some things that are being stigmatized by a particular community. Again, neighborhood observations are important. That if we take um, a number of community that students, communities that students study, they can look at something like the concentration of crime, and as the first speaker pointed out, you'll see that the, you know, a lot of property crime takes place um, near commercial areas. So allowing students to make that connection between you know, visual statistics but also observations, and where would we be without historical records to kind of give the story of how communities came into being? Um, and then creativity, which is this kind of gray area. I can't tell you what it is, but I know it when I see it. So combining all of these areas, this is how I give or kind of instruct students to go out in the field and make sense of the neighborhoods that they're studying. Um, I want to um, quickly go through, like again, demographics, and these are some of the questions that I have students to think about. Uh, well, go back. How, housing, demographics, uh, employment, income, and education. But I want to give you an example of one of my favorite um, projects. This is a draft of a project that um, students got together prior to going out and completing their individual final reports um, about Point Breeze. Now, as I said before, if I was king, you know, I would do this. But if I was a king, I would definitely live in Point Breeze because it's an amazing neighborhood. <laughs> 
I mean, it's an amazing neighborhood space. Um, it parks, transportation, it's relatively safe. Um, you know, a low percentage of vacancies. Um, but could students make sense of the space and come up with some, um, you know, useful information about this community um, that other students can use? And this is a good example. So much of what I cover in my courses focuses on poverty. And so here is, um, you know, um, one of, you know, my five students who worked on this project prior to doing their individual reports. Um, they talked about kind of the history of Point Breeze, you know, that it was named after a tavern that stood at the intersection of Penn and Fifth Avenue. Um, William Wilkins owned a majority of Point Breeze. Um, a famous entertainer um, had this wonderful quote about Point Breeze, where it was, uh, it was Point Breeze that Penn Avenue turned into one of the most opulent millionaire roles of the 19th century America. Armstrong, Hines, Frick, Westinghouse, the kings of cork, pickles, coke, and electricity lived in Point Breeze. So did Andrew Carnegie, his mother, his brother, his cousin. So you get the sense that these kids are doing these really interesting projects and showing remnants of you know, estates that are no longer there. But also you know, giving me details of how they get from campus to their research site, and looking at some of the things that are taking place in terms of transportation, getting into the space, which is very ethnographic and making sense of it. Um, what were they noticing in terms of transportation in Point Breeze? Um, and what were some of the things? And I, I, I want to stress this. One of another of the million things that I love about Pittsburgh is the self-sufficient business district. So most of their projects focus on the um, business districts in different communities in Pittsburgh. And with 90 plus neighborhoods in the city, um, a, a lot of neighborhoods have business districts. So the students were pointing out some of the business areas um, in the space like Point Breeze. In terms of their demographic findings, they point out in the, you know, issues of race um, and ethnicity, you know, home values, property, um, the amount of poverty in a particular space and education, but also the types of occupations, so healthcare, education, uh, professional, scientific, technical, and this comes from the longitudinal employment data that's a part of the census. Um, and again, this was something, you know, training provided by um, Bob, but also students pointing out some of these kind of nuanced local issues like the, um, the Frick Market and that famous Mac Miller song, Put It On My Tab, and pointing to like these wonderful nuanced things that you know you know give you know give a particular community an identity. Um, I think what's also interesting is how students pointed out like this you know this divide in terms of wealth and in terms of crime and why Point Breeze is really interesting in terms of where crime tends to take place along bus routes. Where do you see the, the divide between Penn Avenue and Point Breeze as a neighborhood and kind of focusing on these things and linking those statistics to what they were witnessing as they were walking along the spaces. So in this case, where are crimes taking place? They figured that you know, they could see along bus routes, but also pointed out that a lot of the crime that takes place um, is across in, Penn, um, across in Penn Avenue. And some of those neighborhoods, um, Larimer, um, Homewood, um, am I missing some? I'm just going to stop there. But <laughs> somebody says something. Um, but what's interesting here um, is that 
um, a lot of gentrification has taken place. So even across that one on the other side of Penn Avenue, you have Bakery Square. And looking at the boundaries, that it's a space that's very difficult to penetrate to get into a neighborhood like Larimer. But why is Point Breeze so desirable and such a safe and warm and fuzzy space? Um, also pointing out the places where affluence or you have concentrations of wealth and so the lighter the space, the more you'll see a concentration of wealth in the particular area. Um, so Shadyside, Squirrel Hill, North Oakland, um, and Point Breeze. And you can see that you know, the poverty rates go up and it matches some of those crime numbers that they witnessed before. Um, one of the, um, I think that I really enjoyed so much of urban studies, urban sociology focuses on deviance and crime and looking at how um, disorder becomes a, a part of social life. And we play with an argument about cultural poverty. And so I was really impressed that this group kind of turned the cultural poverty argument on its head and came up with the cultural affluence to point out Point Breeze and why it's such an affluent space. So there is economic stability there in terms of people, um, education, employment, home ownership. It's socially isolated. It's very difficult in terms of, you know, with, with, without that one bus route, getting to Point Breeze, and then controlled interactions that their neighbors, the people who live there, you know, know each other, and they know who the insiders are and the outsiders are. And so I was, again, how students come up with their own ideas, and then they develop their own research projects from using this set of particular tools. So I'm going to stop there.